everyone. Welcome back to the Learning to Sit Still podcast. If I sound slightly congested, it is because allergy season has arrived in the South, a season I always dread, but thankfully it doesn't last forever and neither will my congestion. So I hope you guys can understand a little bit. But today we are back in our study on the Daughters of Eve and we are entering a new book. Ruth, which of course is my favorite, but there are three women in here who each have a special lesson to teach us. Today, we're going to talk about Naomi. Now, if you have read the fall 2021 edition of this, it's still my daughter magazine, then you will be familiar with most of what I plan on sharing today, but I have added a little bit more, so feel free to listen. I have been studying the book of Ruth for more than 10 years, and naturally, I enjoyed the sweet love story between her and Boaz. But the more I studied, the more I began to realize that this wasn't as much about Ruth as it was Naomi. Consider that the story will begin and end with her. In some ways, it feels like Ruth is just playing a supporting role instead of the lead. I found this so intriguing and began to dig more into Naomi's character. One day, I heard a message on the book of Ruth with a focus on Naomi. And it was almost shocking to hear the pastor as he talked very harshly about her behavior. In my mind, I had always painted her as a woman who loved the Lord, her family and her daughter-in-laws. She cared about others and returned home with the attitude of restoration with her people and with God. A woman of strength and character that inspired her daughter-in-law's faith and commitment to God. Now, I will say that in her defense, Naomi, Naomi did do that for her daughter-in-law. I believe that Ruth had a longing to know God based on something. I believe that was Naomi. But the pastor challenged most of what I thought, and it caused me to re-examine her life in a different way. When she arrived back home, walking up that dusty road to Bethlehem, her neighbors almost didn't recognize her, asking if this was indeed Naomi, and she was quick to correct them. No, I'm not Naomi. Call me Mara. How did a woman whose name meant pleasant become one desiring to be known by one meaning bitterness? Like most stories, it was not one thing that suddenly transformed her into this kind of person, but a series of events piled one on top of the other for Naomi, they had taken place over the last decade. Her story begins with her husband's decision to leave the land of their nativity, to journey to the neighboring Moab in an effort to escape the famine that gripped Bethlehem with what seemed little hope of releasing it anytime soon. His choice would yield severe consequences that shook the very foundation of Naomi's life, making her vulnerable to the root of bitterness. Remember what we talked about last week, the man in Psalm 1 who refuses to walk, stand, or sit in the world. Naomi's husband Elimelech chose to sojourn in the land of Moab, almost like saying, I'm going to take a walk. Then later you read, they chose to continue there, in which is similar to standing or sitting. As the head of the family, it is his job to lead them spiritually, and his sons would witness their father compromise his faith and like their father Abraham before, let fear guide them into a pagan land instead of trusting in God's provision. We don't know how long it was, but it, it could have been shortly after they settled that Elimelech died. Now, sadly, instead of choosing to return home, his sons do as their father and they dwell an additional 10 years in Moab and they take brides. And then after that time, they would die themselves prematurely, really. Now, Naomi is not just a widow but she's also motherless. Both of her children were gone, and all that remained were her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. 
word had somehow reached them that the famine is over in Bethlehem and she makes the choice to go home. For many of us, the prospect of returning to the familiar lifts our spirits, but Naomi was no longer the same. The past had left its mark upon her as bitterness was busy taking root in her soul. It first makes its appearance in how she speaks to Orpah and Ruth as they begin their journey home. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. That's Ruth chapter 1 verse 8. For many of us, myself included, we read those words as kind, spoken out of sincere desire to do what is best for the girls, to let them go home, asking the Lord to deal kindly with them in return for the kindness they bestowed upon her. But this is where the pastor challenged me. He said to consider what she was really saying. Go home to your people and to your way of life. What did that include? Worshiping of false gods and even human sacrifice. In essence, what Naomi was doing was condemning them both to hell. I know this is a strong statement, but if you think about it, that is exactly what she was saying to them when she wanted them to go back to their pagan, hopeless culture. It is so tragic to hear these words come from a woman who knows the truth, the one true God. And on top of that, she asked the Lord to bless them. It's almost a little blasphemous to ask God to bless the person you are sending back to a people who worship false gods. The conversation only continues to decline. Listen to verses 12 and 13 from chapter 1. Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say, I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them for having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. Naomi says that the hand of the Lord is gone out against her. Essentially, she is saying that God didn't care about her. The bitterness in her soul is clearly in control of her words, and it pours out to those two girls on the verge of making a decision that will affect not only their future, but their eternity. This is an important reminder of the power of our testimony to others. How we represent God to the world can impact their decision to accept Christ for themselves. In her state of bitterness, Naomi is blind to the hopeless fate that she is condemning her daughters-in-law to by sending them back to nothing. That is one of the dangers of succumbing to bitterness. It clouds our ability to see the needs of others, pulling us into a dark hole that separates us from everything that is good and hinders us from caring for the souls of those around us. But there is something else that is revealed in her conversation. While Naomi wishes for God to bless others, she seems to think that God cannot or will not bless her. Tragically, she is under the belief that there are no more blessings for someone like her. And her words spoken to the gathered neighbors would reveal just how deeply rooted this belief was and the impact it has on her view of God. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? That is Ruth chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. Don't just skim over those words. Listen to what Naomi is really saying about God. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. The Lord hath testified against me. The Almighty hath 
afflicted me. All of these terms are extremely harsh and honestly impersonal, and they're all based on a bitter outlook of circumstances. This is another danger of bitterness. It makes us vulnerable to Satan's lies about the character of God. Naomi was a woman so wrapped up in bitterness and anger over what she no longer had that she believed with all of her heart that there was only one person responsible for her loss, and that was God. When she left with her husband to the pagan land of Moab, outside of the realm of God's promised land, she was full. All that she needed was there, her husband, her two sons. Now she had returned, and in her mind, it was the Lord's fault that she was alone, that she was empty. It makes you wonder what went through Ruth's mind to hear that Naomi felt alone, even though she had made the selfless sacrifice to come with her and committed herself to caring for Naomi. This grumpy, bitter woman goes on to say that the Lord has testified against her. The word testified carries the idea to give evidence as a witness in a trial. Naomi believes that God has witnessed against her and that he has also afflicted her. This is a strong accusation. This word means to spoil by breaking to pieces. What a heartbreaking lie she speaks in front of all of her neighbors that God has spoiled her. Spoil means that something is unfit. So in essence, Naomi is saying that God has made her unfit by breaking her in pieces, making her feel that she is utterly destroyed and useless. It is actually heart-wrenching to hear just how far away she feels from God, that she really believes God doesn't love her anymore. But what is worse is her unconscious belief that God still loves everyone else and wants to bestow good things to them, just not to her. Remember that Naomi desired the Lord to bless her daughters-in-law. So in the back of her mind, he is still good, but he's not for her. Now, before we condemn Naomi for her shocking utterance about God and her faulty belief of God, we might want to look within and ask ourselves if we have ever had the same thoughts. So often we don't speak what we think, but even unspoken words can have an effect on our behavior and our perception of our current circumstances. We can say we believe God is good and even wish his blessings on others, but deep within our hearts, we are convinced that he doesn't love us. We feel that his hand is against us, that we have been completely spoiled and broken into so many pieces that it would be impossible for even God to reassemble them. We too have given way to Satan's lies and have lost the ability to see God for who he truly is. He's kind, compassionate, merciful, gracious, patient, and loving. This is the tragedy of her story. that She has lost hope in the one who is the eternal hope, unable to see anything good. The power of bitterness showing itself fully in her life. Thankfully, it is not the end of her story. Remember what happens next? Naomi and Ruth settle into the old home. Ruth begins to glean in a field that just happens to belong to a man called Boaz, a name that not only Naomi remembers, but sparks the first ray of hope in her heart. It is as if her wheels start turning, realizing that Boaz is a near kinsman that is eligible to marry Ruth, and what a great match it would be. When all the harvests have ended, Naomi goes into full Cupid mode, giving Ruth the perfect recipe to get a man, which includes taking a bath, putting on a nice outfit, and laying at his feet in the middle of the night. 
I think this is always just the funniest part of the story because it's very typical for most mothers and daughters who are trying to get a guy. In, in fact, this scene has some strong similarities to Mrs. Bennett from Pride and Prejudice when she planned for her daughter Jane to ride in the rain to visit Mr. Bingley, hoping that she would get sick and have to stay with him in hopes of a proposal at the end. And just like Mrs. Bennett, her perfectly concocted plan doesn't give them the results they had hoped. In fact, you could say they backfired a little bit. When Ruth returned home, Naomi discovered that she was wrong in her assumption that Boaz was next in line. There was someone else who had first claim. I always found this an interesting point in the story and came to the conclusion that God interfered for a very important reason. You see, if Naomi had succeeded in getting Ruth and Boaz together, who would have gotten the credit? She would, of course, and she would have had bragging rights to her neighbors that she was solely responsible for their wonderful happiness. But God made them wait. When he did that, he was forcing Naomi to let go of the situation, taking full control of it all. God intended for Ruth and Boaz to come together, but it would be his doing, not Naomi's. And I love this. There are times when we try so hard to manipulate circumstances to benefit us, to get what we want. And they are not bad things, but what would happen if we simply let go and let God? And I heard a wonderful quote recently that has meant a lot to me personally. Letting go is not giving up. It's trusting God to do whatever he has to do. I absolutely love this because so often when we say we are letting go of something, what we mean is we are giving up. But that is the wrong attitude. We need to let go believing that whatever the outcome, it is what is best because God is good. However, to wait and see whether or not Ruth would be able to marry Boaz was difficult. It was a good thing, though. Of course, we know how that part of the story ended up, but that is not the focus for today. While it is sad that Naomi failed to see God as her loving Heavenly Father, he never failed to see her as his daughter. Isn't that a wonderful truth? This is the magnificence of our God. Even when we walk away from him, even when we falsely accuse him, he never ceases to love us and he never stops pursuing us. Naomi wore the veil of bitterness, which prohibited her from realizing what a state she was in. That is the power of bitterness. It literally has the ability to block all other emotions. It was as if she was groping around in the dark. Those who are lost in bitterness need sometimes someone to lead them back to the truth. And God in his abundant mercy gave Ruth to Naomi, who unconditionally demonstrated love to her and also a group of women who were brave enough to speak truth into her heart. Hear what these women had to say to Naomi in Ruth 4 verses 14 and 15. And the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. I remember the first time I realized just how powerful and meaningful these words were. So much was stated in these two verses. These women held nothing back from Naomi, but forced her to realize just how blessed she was and how good God had been to her. She was not forsaken as she had never once been. God had provided her a kinsman. His hand had been at work the entire time, orchestrating such a beautiful ending for his beloved in the form of a grandson. 
The women acknowledged her loss. They didn't ignore that she had suffered a hurt, but they also recognized the hope she had been given, what her grandson would do for her. He would be a restorer of her life and a nourisher of her old age. The word restore means to turn back, reestablish, and nourisher means to nourish thy gray hairs. What an amazing gift God has bestowed upon Naomi. She who had lost two sons receives another, one who will care for her, nourish her as she continues to age. He is also a restorer, one who reestablishes something that has been lost. Naomi had lost her way. She had allowed bitterness to come between her and God, but through this child and the love of her daughter-in-law, her relationship had been restored. It had been reestablished. The women of the village were instrumental in helping to remove the veil placed by bitterness and allowed Naomi to see for the first time that God had never forsaken her. He had never forgotten about her, and he had never once faltered in his love to her. Isn't it interesting that once they spoke their peace, she became nursed to the child, which made me wonder if Naomi had once more withdrawn herself after she believed Ruth's happiness was secured, again thinking that there was nothing left for her, no chance of joy or gladness for someone like her. Thankfully, she embraced the truth of what her friend said and was able to tear out the bitterness. I truly believe that the book of Ruth is a reminder of just how far God will go to retrieve a wounded lamb how much he is willing to invest to restore one that is lost. This is what should make us stand in awe of our God, just how amazing and wonderful he is to his children. Naomi had suffered loss, experienced deep grief, and endured much sorrow. But God was there, even when she could not see it. And he gave her a sweet end, because he's always good. As we go through life, we will become acquainted with heartache, pain, and sadness, making us susceptible to the lies of our enemy. In those moments of weakness, it's easy to believe God does not care and to let bitterness begin to take root. And it's difficult to remove it. It has a strong grip that often requires the help of others, like what the women of the village did for Naomi. They confronted her with truth. And that is the only way we can avoid or cure the Naomi syndrome, as I like to call it. It is vital that we avoid falling victim to this disease and be aware of the first onset of symptoms so we can begin the antidote, which is the truth found in God's word. That is why it's so important that we dwell in the quiet place and become students of the precious book of life, familiar with the passages that remind us of the unfailing, unchanging character of our God. Only then can we triumph in the midst of sorrow and see clearly just how wonderful is the God we serve whom we call our Abba Father. And with that, we will end our episode for today. Can I encourage you to surround yourself with good friends, ones that are not afraid to speak the truth into your life? Remember that faithful are the wounds of a friend. Be a friend who speaks the truth and be a friend ready to receive the truth spoken by those that love us. And above all, remember There is nothing we can ever do to separate us from God's love. It is eternal and unchanging. All we have to do is reach out for it, and it will enfold us even in the midst of our deepest pain and loss. We are his daughters, and he is always good. (laughs) 